I'm your host, Kaylee, and I love my career as a venue manager and now owner. I'm a glutton for punishment, coffee addict, and an ambitious leader. I've seen and done some unglamorous things in this chosen career path, but I wouldn't change it for the world. Let's talk about the ups and downs of venue ownership, and I'll fill you in on the crazy stories, give you some knowledge on the nitty gritty details, and share my passion for this industry. Stick around, and I'm sure you're going to understand why Operating a venue, although rewarding, is elegantly unglamorous. Good morning, or whatever time it is for you. Hello. (laughs) It is morning for me, so I am in the morning kind of let's get this day rolling spirit today. But um, this week has been nuts for us. It's actually for me, it's been nuts. I think I'm going to cover this topic later, but we have been trying to hire in several positions in staff members because in the winter, our staff normally just kind of trickle off and we are, we run on very minimum staff. Um, If they come back for the next wedding season, it's like a 50-50 chance. Um, For kitchen servers, it's like a 10% chance. Usually they don't come back the next year. Um, They finish one season and then they get another job in the winter and we don't ever see them again. Sucks, but that's the reality of it. We, well, I have been doing interviews pretty much for the last two weeks, like almost every day for six hours a day. It is... This is the one part of my job I really just hate. I really hate conducting interviews. I hate searching through all the applications. I hate trying to find that diamond in the rough that I really, you know, want to hire and bring in. And I'm struggling on a couple of the positions, but yesterday I had a breakthrough day. Um, I was able to hire a venue assistant manager, which is a new position um, for us, kind of. Um, It's more of an in-depth position of actually handling tours and doing some um, contract signings and providing quotes and answering emails and answering inquiries and, you know, being at the weddings to conduct the wedding and execute the wedding. I don't want to do that anymore. I think there's so many other great opportunities for me to handle um, in order to drive our business forward or to fill in holes and gaps. And that's what I'm focusing on this year. So I hired an assistant manager yesterday. Great. I'm so excited. She was a district manager for some restaurants um, in the local area. And then when COVID hit, her kind of job kind of dwindled. Um, She decided to quit and quit her job and stay at home during COVID because she had, she has four kids of her own and three stepchildren. So seven kids in a house, crazy. Uh, But she, you know, her kids are in preschool. Her youngest is in preschool and she's ready to kind of start back up part-time. So works out great for us. She has management experience. She's a great personality and I'm looking forward to bringing her onto our team. Maybe I will do a podcast with her. Um, Her name is Amy and uh, we will, you know, talk about some of her experiences working here. I think that'd be a great episode, but I also hired um, one kitchen server. Uh Kitchen servers are a little bit harder to find because 
this is what I'm finding. Anyone under the age of 25 is not showing up to interviews. I'm a little pissed off about it. <laughs> I'm a little salty. Um, they're just not showing up for interviews. I had six interviews scheduled yesterday and only two people showed up. And one of those is the assistant manager that I hired. And the other one was a kitchen server that I also hired. She showed up to the interview. She showed up early. Welcome to the team. <laughs> it's kind of at that, at that point right now. She also um, has uh, not necessarily friends, but coworkers that she works with at a current restaurant that is not doing so hot. They're not making, you know, nearly what they need to, to survive. So they're looking for other opportunities and she might bring them on board with her. So yes, you are hired. You are welcome to the team and bring your friends. Um, then I also, uh, reached out and tried to hire an assistant, like an event assistant for mornings. So our event managers or assistant manager comes in for every wedding and they work from three to 12 AM. Um, but our morning attendants open the building at 8 AM and hang around until about three 30, um, just to be pretty much a building or a body in the building and to set up any, you know, linens and napkins and silverware and buffet lines and just handle some details um, during the day that need to be done. So, um, you know, I'm not looking for anyone who has a lot of experience in events. I'm looking for somebody who has a great personality, um, a get it done kind of person who is friendly and who I think is going to work well, just being a great face for the business and, you know, greeting our clients as they come in in the mornings to get ready for the ceremony. Um, but who can also have a little bit of thick skin to handle, you know, any issues if there's any violations of contracts during that time. So um, it just, you know, not so I'm not looking for a lot. I really am not. And we pay way over, you know, what normal, what normal venues or kitchen or restaurant management pays. So, I mean, our kitchen, our kitchen servers make, can make between, we pay them per event. So they make a hundred dollars per event. Well, they usually only work five to six hours. If you do the math, it's usually 20 to 17 to $20 an hour average for a kitchen server. That's what they make. Um, and they don't, but that's the thing. They only work during events. So if we only have a Saturday wedding, they only work one day a week on that. But usually a lot of them have other jobs too. So this is just one of those jobs that they know they're going to walk away with a hundred dollars at, at the end of it, no matter how much they work. And it encourages them to get out <laughs> because sometimes if you pay them hourly, they take forever doing cleaning and we have experienced that. And so we know it can be done in this amount of time. So that's what we're paying per event. Um, you know, our assistant morning assistants, they get paid $15 an hour. They walk away with $120 in one day from 7.30 until 3.30 PM. It, it's, it's an easy position, but we are just not getting the push on it and not getting people in. Um, I know that it's part-time, so that is probably one of the issues. Um, we are still looking for a chef. Um, I would prefer to have a part-time chef that we pay $20 an hour to, you know, handle our orders and deliveries on Thursday, you know, half a, half a day, Friday's half a day, Saturday's a full day, Sunday's a half a day. You know, it's only about uh, probably 20 hours. 
So about 20 hours a week during event season, and I cannot get that thing filled. So we offered, we offered to do a full, um, we offered to do a full-time position. Of course, it's a salary plus commission on any outside traveling catering that is sold. Um, so if they go out and they push traveling catering to secure contracts and things with businesses or anything like that, um, you know, we want to do that, but I don't have time to push that. And with our current situation, it's just not, we can't, we can't handle that, um, unless we have a full-time, you know, chef. So we're hiring for it, but it's $35,000 salary plus commission. Some people are like, Ooh, that's pretty low for a chef. To be honest, I don't think I can even give them full-time work. So half the time, three or four months out of the year, they might only be working 20 hours a week. So, and I don't really see them exceeding 40 hours, even when we have events. So the fact that they're getting secured pay, even in the winter is kind of nervous. It makes me nervous, but I need to have a qualified, you know, experience chef that can manage a kitchen so I can step away from, you know, trying to find the details and the holes and they can, they can do that. They know what they're doing. Cause I don't, I, I will be the first one to admit, I do not know anything about catering really. Like I rely heavily on my chef. I rely heavily on that. And that's some one area that we have a sinkhole. We have a sinkhole in our kitchen because we're noticing that we have a lot of waste or we have a lot of there. We need somebody to control that. We need somebody who knows what we're doing. And that's part of running a business is really relying on your staff to, um, you know, have knowledge in the areas that you do not. It's okay for you not to know everything. Just because you're the owner, just because you're the manager, you don't have to know everything, but you have to be good at leading and running a team. And that's what I'm good at. I'm good at running a team. I'm good at, you know, driving sales. I'm good at finding the gaps and being creative how to fill those. That's my job. That's what I do. Um, so anyways, that's been our struggle this week. I want to get into this episode. It has nothing to do with staffing, but I always like to talk about what we are, we have been experiencing the last, you know, since we last spoke and, and I want to go over all those details with you and kind of learn from my mistakes or, you know, maybe I can get some pointers from somebody cause I need it. And the staffing world right now is horrible. So, but anyways, let's get into today's episode. Okay, so today I want to talk about vendor lists or BYO. Bring your own. <laughs> um, I almost put BYOB because I'm so used to like my college days of, you know, bring your own beer, but <laughs> it's BYO. So I'm just going to go with that term, that abbreviation of BYO stands for bring your own vendor or to have a required vendors list. So let's talk about those two um, and figure out what's going to work best for you, especially if you're in the process of building a venue or 
you know, you have dreams of owning a venue, this is going to be a crucial part of your operation and your business model and what's going to work best for you. So um, first of all, a vendor list, let's talk about the definitions of those and then we'll get into how to establish them and the pros and cons. So a vendor's list is really controlling who a client can hire for an event. You pick out the vendors and those are on a list and they have to choose uh, the vendors listed on your list. They aren't allowed to deviate from that. Um, and then uh, bring your own is allowing clients to hire who they want as their vendors. And this can be, this can be kind of limited. You can do a partial of you know, both, you can flip flap, flip flop back and forth between, you know, bring your own event and having a vendor's list for certain vendors and then bring your own for the other. But for bring your own, you have to, you have to be prepared for them to also bring in non-professional vendors, a friend that they know that has a hobby. You have to be prepared for that because that's what bring your own means. Um, so how would you, if you wanted to do a vendor's list, how would you establish that? Um, I mean, this can take time and it requires some extensive networking. You really have to have some knowledge in your industry. So to, for us, we, I had some knowledge as an event director for a venue ha who had a required vendor's list. That's how they operated. They had a required um, catering vendors list. So we had a required catering vendors list at our venue when we first opened for the first year because we were not in the element. I was not in the element to start catering at that time. I had, I mean, this is my first year running a, a like, owning and operating my own venue without any direction. I was not event director with an owner over top of me. I was running the venue myself. And I, I had a required caterers list because I just needed some, I needed some stability on that end. Um, and there was a reason for that, but I had some kind of knowledge to go off of. So you really need to have either some extensive networking skills. Um, you have to be an extrovert. You have to be able to, you know, know caterers, know photographers, know some DJs. And then you need to think about your priorities, what your needs are as a venue. What are your needs? And do you want them to be established and you need them to be, um, handle certain situations and, you know, what are your priorities? Are you looking to really cut back on your time spent kind of managing the wedding? Because uh, ven venues get into that a lot. A lot of it is the venues have to manage a lot. Um, because if you don't, it always falls back on your shoulders. Um, you need to consider, will you charge a percentage to be on a vendor's list? Some venues do this. They will charge a percentage of that, that client's bookings with that vendor. So either that, either that's 5%, 10%, whatever it might be, you know, they'll, okay, a DJ has a $1,200 DJ package and you require 10% of his sales for putting him on the vendor's list. How are you going to know that information um, and, and 
will they be able to send you the invoice and then they pay after or do they pay you before the event? Because after you can come up with struggles of trying to collect that money. We've been there when we had, you know, outside catering allowed. We had a we had a caterer that came in and he never paid his his vendor fee or his venue fee. He charged a client for it, but he never paid us for it because we required it after the event, but he never sent it. We did send him to collections for it and come to find out his business was going through bankruptcy and he filed it on bankruptcy. So we didn't get a single dime. Um, so, you know, that came back to, we should have researched that beforehand. This guy was not on our preferred list. I made a judgment call to allow them to bring in their own caterer um, because it was one of their friends and he owned a catering business. And I'm like, can he provide insurance? Yes, he provided insurance. Okay. But he has to pay this, this venue fee. We charge a fee for you to, you know, bring in your own, own caterer and he never paid it. So, um, but if you're opening a new venue, you really have to research the vendor's website, their social medias, their reviews, and meet with them to discuss your partnership before you even put them on your vendors list. And this can take time. This takes a lot of weeding through and you're going to really have to rely on your intuition of that vendor and their quality, especially if you don't have much experience in the industry, like you're just starting off, um, you know, that you're a venue owner, you're building a new venue, but you know, you're a business owner, but you just haven't had the experience in the wedding industry dealing with other vendors. So like I said, you're going to either need to network and it's going to build your networking net. Like you need to build that net. So then that way, you know, you have an established networking vendor list that you can have your clients rely off of. But you also want quality vendors. If you're going to have a vendor list, you need quality vendors because you are responsible for their quality at that point. Because if your client's required to hire them and that vendor, part of my language, fucks up, you fuck up too because you re you required them to use that vendor and they're going to blame you for it. <laughs> they're going to. It doesn't sound fair, but they're going to. So you have to do your research. You have to make sure you check their social media and their reviews and make sure they're like quality vendors, a quality DJ or a quality photographer who's going to be quick on their return time to for photographs. I think that's the biggest thing is some, some photographers are like, oh, it'll be 12 weeks but then they drag it out six months and that client still hasn't gotten their wedding photos in six months. So you got to make sure that you hire or you put quality vendors on your venue list and you got to do the research. You need to know your priorities. You need to know how you're going to operate. And if you're going to have a contract for them, it, I highly suggest a contract with those vendors on your venue, on your vendor list. doesn't matter if you're charging a fee or not. Have a contract, have your priorities and your needs and your expectations in written format and have them sign off on it that they acknowledge that they are going to meet those needs and they are going to hold up your expectations as a vendor. Um, you know, 
as for BYO, you really have to fender, like figure out your policies on that as well. I mean, there's certain restrictions that you might want to put into place on a BYO. Um, do they have to be licensed? Are you making sure that every vendor that your client is able to hire in themselves is a licensed professional? Do they have insurance or do they have to have insurance? Will they need to provide that before the event? Will they be required to meet you before the event? You know, will you charge them a venue fee outside caterers? I mean, you can still do that on catering. You can charge any caterer that they bring in a venue fee. Especially if you have a kitchen, I highly suggest charging a venue fee and making it due before the event um, on any caterers if they're going to be using your kitchen. And that means like washing their hands. I, I mean, you can just make it a required thing. You don't have to say, if you're going to use my kitchen, you have to, no, you, you provide that kitchen for them to use. If they use it or not, you should charge a fee. So you do that out of convenience. Um, and so you should charge a venue fee on that. Then they're going to charge that client that. That's part of having the flexibility of a BYO list or like, you know, having a BYO service that your clients, yeah, it attracts clients because they like the flexibility. They like being able to hire who they want to hire. But, you know, there should be some kind of policies, especially if you don't want to get yourself knee deep and just BS because they're going to bring in great aunt Sally to make their cake and the cake falls over in the middle of the wedding. And now your floors are covered in icing and you've got to clean it up. And you got to think about these things. Um, so I highly suggest you have some kind of restrictions that, you know, it needs to be a professional. Um, if they're going to provide insurance or not, I would say for DJs, and for DJs, definitely need to have insurance because there's so many things that could happen with a DJ. Um, they could totally ruin electrical depending on what they're, you know, what wattage and amps are pulling on that. You just have to cover your bases. Um, so, you know, and how extensive are you going to have to really dig into the BYO policies, are you going to need to meet them before the event? Are you going to need a copy of their insurance for the event? Are you going to have to see their license? Um, because that's going to take you time. That will take you time. So establish that beforehand, know what you're getting into with that kind of operation and business model. And then that way you can convey that to your clients before they book. So let's talk about the pros and cons of both of them. I mean, you can kind of feel what I lean towards. I'm sure you can pick up on that. <laughs> but um, so pros and cons of both. I, I mean, for the vendor list, the pros are that you have more control over the event process and the planning process. You have complete control over that planning process. 
Um, other than like dresses and attire, that shouldn't, you shouldn't have that on your list of where they should be able to get their dress. That doesn't matter. But the DJ, the photographer, um, the caterers, bar service, um, bakeries, photo booths, things like that, you have control over who is coming in and out of your facility. Um, it also helps because you have less management on the venue part. There's less management to handle when your vendors are, they know what they're supposed to do throughout the event. They know your policies. You don't have to worry about them breaking a policy. They signed a contract. They know the policies that you have in, in, in place and they will follow them if they want to remain on your ven- vendor list. Um, it also helps to establish your brand. So leaking with leak linking with vendors who have similar brands and similar values to their business will only help establish your brand and make that more creditable than being having a BYO because that will you're going to have consistent f- photography You're going to have consistency on your DJ and MC and experience in that way. You're going to have consistency on your bakery and what kind of desserts are provided. And you're going to have more control over that to establish your brand. Every event is going to be to the quality that you want it to be. Um, It also solidifies your networking net or your, yeah, your networking net. Woo, that kind of, that was a little weird. So it solidifies your networking net. You have you are catching more ven- you know, more vendors, and you're building more of a relationship with them, a strong relationship with them, and they're going to refer their clients to you. You know, um, you could counter that by the venues, the first place that they go, and it is true the venue is the first place that they go. It really is. Unless they have like a photographer that they know that they have to have and they book them first and then they go find a venue. I mean, I I think that's probably the most common, you know, counteractive claim to that of the venue being the first place is if they really, the photographer could be a make or break. So um, you're going to establish that and it's really, that kind of gets your name out a little bit quicker. Um, but the cons, there are cons to having a restricted list. I mean, it really does hinder your clients' unique experiences. It really limits how unique their event can be. Because if you don't have a venue or a vendor that doesn't supply, I don't know, that doesn't have a certain style of floral work that they are looking for, you hinder them that they are going to have to stay at that. So it could counteract to you that you're not going to follow trends as easily as what a unique list could have or like a unique BYO experience could have. Um, Because if you're stuck with certain vendors, they usually have a style and a niche. Like they are set in that. That's their specialty. And a lot of times they don't, I mean, they do follow trends. They tend to follow trends somewhat to an extent, 
But what happens is you'll have a new vendor pop up that is more trendy and they're not on your vendor list yet. So those clients can't, because they're new. And so those clients can't book them and it, it really hinders the uniqueness. Um, I hope that's, I hope that's understandable. I'm trying to explain this the best way possible. Um, you also take on the pressure that those vendors have to provide the service 110% all the time. They have to do well or you will be blamed. Because if they, I mean, they're going to get heat too, but you required the client to use that vendor. So if that vendor is a crap vendor, if that DJ is messes up the names all the time, you're going to take the heat for that because you require them to be on your vendor list. And like I said, to avoid that, you got to do your research. You got to make sure you're, you're putting quality vendors on your list. If you make one mistake and say, yes, that vendor can be on our list, even though they don't have the experience that you, they really need to have. And they fudge up, like that's, what's going to happen. And you're going to take the brunt of that because it's your list. And you're going to book less events because now they've heard that you have a vendor and you require to use that vendor and that vendor sucks. So um, as for BYO, the pros are that you allow your clients to have versatility for a unique experience. It is completely versatile. They can really hire whoever they want to hire, of course, to your restrictions. But they can bring in a new type of vendor. Um, one of the big things that have been popping up is, um, at least in our area, we have this one company that is probably fairly new. I'd say like one to two years old. They are like um, light. God, how do I even say this? Like light letters? Does that make sense? Not neon signs, but they're like these big letters that you can spell out your last name or any, like they have hearts and things like that and they light up. And they were on a lot of vendor lists for the required vendor, like require the venues that had a required ven vendor list. So a lot of times they weren't at these high-end venues because they had a list and they weren't on it. And that really hindered the experience of that client. They wanted to have it, but they couldn't, or they didn't know about it. So being able to allow your clients to research freely and to design the event how they want and hire vendors to fulfill their unique personalities and provide a unique experience, that's what a BYO pro is. It's part of it. It also allows your clients to work on a budget. So if your venue is focused on mainly providing not necessarily budget weddings, I'd say if you were even like a mid-grade venue, and I'm saying this based on your area, you know, you've got your low-end venues, your budget venues, you've got your um, mid-grade venues, your mid-to-high venues, and your high-end venues. I would say if you're like even up to a mid-to-high venue, that, I mean, it allows your clients to spend more money on you but cut back on other areas. 
that makes sense. <laughs> um, it allows your clients to cut back on the bakery and not having that huge designed grand cake that, you know, your vendors require and really allows them to do cheesecakes from another company that brings it in. And it's half the cost of that cake, that vendor that you required. So it, it allows your clients to spend more money on you if they want, to be honest, it could be a pro, um, but it allows them to work on a budget. It allows them to have lower budgets, but customize their budget based on their priorities. It also has the tendency to attract more business. So I get a lot that I have. So we require, we require our catering and bar service to be ours for all events. Like there's no outside catering. There is no outside bar service and you have to use ours. It's just, that's what it is. But we allow you to bring in any of your own photography, any of your own DJs, any of your own bakeries. They can be great Aunt Sally. We allow you to do it at the risk that, and we make it very clear, you're responsible for your vendors. We're not responsible for your vendors. And if they mess up or they damage our facility, we're not responsible for that. You are. So, but it still attracts more business for us because we allow the people to have a little bit of flexibility on that. The venues that are literally just a venue and they provide like the tables, the chairs, and then allow you to bring in your own catering and bar service and all that kind of stuff. Those venues usually attract more, at least in our area it does. People want that flexibility. They want that unique experience. They want to be able to hire who they want to hire and not be restricted. So it doesn't, it tends to attract more business. The cons to a BYO business model is you become more of an event manager for the venue. You have to manage more things. You have to be more communicative. You have to greet the DJ every single time. Make sure they know the event schedule. Make sure that they know this is what's going on. Make sure that this is what that you require from them. Um, that could be before the wedding. That could be during the wedding. It really depends. Um, this is the other problem too. A lot of weddings, people, your clients are clueless. They don't know where to start. They really don't. So if you don't have established vendor list, they just kind of tend to wander around and try to find whoever they can find. They really, they're clueless and they don't do the research. <laughs> they do, they tend to not do the research of who they're hiring and they look at money more than they do the service side of it. So, oh, this photographer is way cheaper, but she didn't capture any pictures of your decor. She didn't capture any pictures of your grandma. So they're really clueless on the service side. Um, and it puts more liability on the couple. So like I said, they're responsible for their vendors. So if their vendors ruin our facility or wreck our facility, damage it, I'm going to come after the clients. I'm not coming after the vendors. The clients then can come after the vendors. They can handle it. But I'm going to go to the clients first. 
and they're going to have to fix the problem. They could lose their full damage deposit and bill them more if a DJ decided to drive his truck through my yard or back up to the door and left ruts in our grass. They're going to be liable for that. So that is a con. That, that, that can be huge. I think it's more of a con for us than it is the client because they're like, whatever. Okay. They don't understand what could happen and we do, <laughs> but it's, it's a whole process of trying to decide what are you, what risk are you wanting to take? Are, and, and are you wanting to go less risky with a vendor list and, um, you know, making sure that everything flows well. You'd rather have it just, this is what it is. This is who you can use. That's it. End of story. Or, and, and you want to take on the small risk that those vendors are not going to be quality and you might get some pushback on that. Or are you wanting to be a little bit more risky and allow them to bring in whoever they want to bring in? And if they're good or not, they're, whatever. It's not your problem. Right. Um, and if they don't have insurance, eh, hopefully they don't wreck your facility. Um, <laughs> uh, so really decide on what your risk level is on that side of it. Um, like I said, a vendor list, the risk too is not booking that many events based because you're restricting your clients. The pros of a BYO is that it attracts more business. So like I said, we are partial on this. I don't really require outside vendors. I don't have an outside vendor list other than you have to use my catering. You have to use my bar service. The other vendors, I really don't care. But it is sometimes a pain in the butt for me when I get a DJ that is a friend and they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea that we don't dismiss tables for catering. That's their job. A lot of times I, I, but I've had policies set to where I have a form that I give to them every time. I don't even really have to talk to them much. My event assistant hands them a form, says, here you go. This is our schedule. These are our policies. Um, if you have any questions, please let me know. And it has everything listed on there and hopefully they read it. If they don't, that's their problem. They're, they're going to hear from us. I mean, and they probably won't be allowed back. So, um, that's it for today, guys. I hope that this gives you some information and allows you to make the right decision on what kind of format is going to work best for your business and how much risk you're wanting to take and how much management you want to add onto your plate or take off of your plate. So um, that's it. I hope you have a great week. Thanks. Talk to you later. Do you know another venue owner? event professional, or maybe an entrepreneur that you think will benefit from this podcast? Why don't you share it with them and help me inspire others? Stay informed by following or subscribing to this podcast. You'll be notified each time an episode is posted. You can also follow me for more tips and inspiration on Instagram at Elegantly Unclamorous Podcast or on our website at ElegantlyUnclamorous.com. I'll see you next time.